When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome back to ESSR Central here on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Uh, network. My name is Ross McLeod. Apologies for last week's poor excuse of a tribute show you had to listen to with Scott McLeod and David Hockney. Don't worry, the regular host is back. Normal service has resumed. And joining me this week, he's taking a break from being completely biased against me and everything I stand for on Saturday Draft Live to come and be biased on ESSR Central. It's Stephen Wilson. Stephen, how are you? I'm glad you took the bait for that one a couple of weeks ago on, on Saturday Draft Live. I thought I was like, I really don't want to dig, in, dig into him. But the, the more I was doing that show, the more I was like, yeah, there's more to it. I'm in the hole now. I better just keep going. <laughs> it's compl- I was on a very nice bus ride heading heading to see my father's for a belated Father's Day visit and all I was getting was abuse. Absolutely disgraceful scenes. And then he took off to Ibiza. Didn't even invite me. Is it is it a family thing? You know, because I like to think of myself as the third Kernahan. Is it a bald thing? Because I'll shave my head, Stephen. I will do it. Well, you're more of a Kernahan than me because I'm not a Kernahan. So. <laughs> <laughs> but before we start, just remember, we have a massive back catalogue of interviews, previews, reviews, all the news. You can find it Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, Spotify, iTunes and all good Android podcasting sites. At Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Let's um, let's dive right in, uh, continuing on what was last week's top story, which was Money in the Bank. The continuing storyline for the Bloodline, Tribal Court, this past week on SmackDown. A great two-segment thing that went right through the show, and it looks more and more that GSO is going to be the one to take the WWE title from Roman Reigns, Stephen. Yeah, they're kind of they're in danger maybe of putting themselves into a corner because uh, obviously we've talked on this show for since WrestleMania about how oh, it's probably going to go on to next year's WrestleMania and then that's where Cody's going to complete the story, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the more that this, the GSO, since GSO turned and obviously we're in the bank and now the tribal uh, court stuff just there, you feel like just that's another that's another chance for them just to to go for it, and you worry if they don't go for it, then where does that leave everything? Yeah, no, exactly. I think um, it's one of those ones. I think Cody does need to beat Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, not to get momentum back. He's still as over as ever. You know, his theme song is still as over as ever, but. Jay is so at the minute. I don't think fans will sit through another, what is it? We're in June just now, so another 10 months. 
Oh, sorry, July of now, Jesus. Another nine months of a Roman Reigns title run. I think giving it to Jey Uso at SummerSlam, maybe giving him a two-month run, giving Roman a wee bit of time off, put, taking Roman out of the, the title picture and then having him drop it back to Roman Reigns later on. Mm. It's still The story's still there. You know, Roman versus Cody. Cody has to finish the story. Roman is this guy that he just couldn't beat. He's been the only guy that he's not been able to beat since he came back to WWE. So, yeah, I think the story's still there, but the the actual segment itself, um, Roman Reigns, a bit of gaslighting again, and it, it's... I've really enjoyed this storyline about a guy who's built up a Thanos-style empire and it's now crumbling around him. He's got all the titles, he had the protection, and now, like, you, you saw the segment, I was doing this for you, and it's Jimmy Uso that says to him, nah, you're not going to manipulate us like you've done before. And when you saw the segment on Raw where they showed it back, it was all the times he's manipulated the Usos into doing what he wants. And it's just... The, the story of it crumbling around him, but it not quite being over yet. It, it, I'm really, I'm, I'm stuttering over my words here, but I'm really enjoying this storyline, just every little nuance of it. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people, I remember around about the start of the year where the Sami Zayn turn happened at the Rumble, and everybody's like, oh, the story is Sami Roman. It's like, no, if you go back to 2020, the whole, cl- the key aspect, Part of this whole story wasn't even Roman Reigns, it was always Jey Uso. Jey Uso was the first guy, obviously joined the bloodline, was forced to join with his with his cousin, was kind of getting manipulated the whole time and now he's the guy who's kind of coming in there and just it's just you thought after Mania that they buggered it. I've got to be honest with you, you thought they'd absolutely, they were just kind of keeping it going for the, for the sake of keeping it going but it's still hot as ever. I think it's probably obviously the hottest point with Sammy stuff, but it's not that far off it, and it's captivating. It's the fact that the SmackDown roster is quite is pretty talented. There's a lot of really talented guys on SmackDown, and a lot of them can't get a a, a minute on the show now because this is the thing. This is what everybody wants to see, and it's not like WWE is just shoving it down the throat. People are wanting to see it. The numbers are great. You know, the buzz online's fantastic for it. And it's just like, it's just, if, if is this going to be the final beat or is there more to it? I think the, there's a, there is probably a way they could go with it if they wanted to keep it going. But it remains to be seen if that's going to be the, the avenue WWE take with this one. Yeah, it's, you know, we talked about it being close to Sammy's. I mean, you look at the pop in Saudi Arabia when Jimmy hits the super kick. You look at the pop, uh, I can't remember where SmackDown was that week, uh, when Jey Uso officially le- leaves the bloodline. You look at the pop, uh, even just the brawl segment the night before Money in the Bank, and then the crowd for the entire match was sensational in the O2 Arena uh, for Money in the Bank. And even even the other night on SmackDown in Madison Square Garden, it was, again, it was amazing. So... The, as you said, it's a really talented, quite a deep roster and not a lot of people can get on the show because this is the thing people want to see. And I remember we spoke just after Mania um, about 
a like people a saying you know the, the rumors started coming out that it was going to be Roman Reigns against Jey Uso, and people were like, "Nah, nah, we, we we don't want this. We don't want this." And now you, you just now that the story's actually been allowed to play out. It's been absolutely sensational. I'm just looking at the clips from SmackDown on WWE's YouTube channel this past week. Uh, 2.6 million. Uh, tribal Court leads to Jey Uso wanting a match with Roman Reigns. That's the six-minute Super Cup. Uh, Jey Uso's return to SmackDown, 1 million views. And then Roman Reigns remains the Tribal Chief, 700,000 views. Um, you look elsewhere, United States Championship match, under 300,000. Edge and Grayson Waller's segment, uh, 375k. Uh, and almost a cash in, 550k views. Uh, and, you know, nothing, you're seeing here nothing else is coming close to it. <laughs> so far, it's so far gone. It really is. I mean, even the clip from the week before, the Bloodline Civil War begins, 1.5 million views. It's just absolutely amazing some of the views they're getting just now for this stuff. And uh, you, you posted in our chat the other day, was it 3 million views for the second segment of the Bloodline? Yeah, they pretty much the third, the second quarter of SmackDown this past week. Uh, obviously, the America, with the way they do the ratings, they divide up into quarters. Uh, 3 million uh, viewers watched that segment alone, which I don't think I can remember in a quite a long time any WWE show segment getting that particular number and I seen a thing on the, the WrestleNomics Twitter page uh, last night where they were kind of breaking down some of these bloodline segments and you're looking at quarter and quarter rises of upwards of 10% between 10 and 20% per segment when it's on that's a, that's a crazy number, that's absolutely mental thinking about, especially, you know, on a Friday night, you know, if I, uh, I know the Americans digest how they watch TV a lot differently from us, but if you're looking at quarter to ten on a Friday night, I'm probably not tuning in that late in a show to watch it, and if I am, I'm not going to do it in any form of state that I can properly watch it. So to have that sort of investment is credit to them. And yeah, it's, um, I don't know... It's something that WWE, Triple H, they need to try and figure out. I mean, this seg this this whole storyline's worked so well. But what's the next when that's over, what how are they gonna get somewhere something that's gonna create a similar sort of buzz? It's they're hoping it's just not gonna be a one time shot thing and then the bubble completely bursts on WWE because everything around WWE right now, you know, kind of funneling down from the bloodline stuff, it's all working in some sort of way. Ticket sales are great, ratings are pretty solid. You know, they're starting to put on some really good shows that are getting critically reviewed. You know, and there's some guys in the lower up, uh, lower mid-card who are starting to get over. So it's just what's going to be the next big thing after that. I'm interested to see how that goes on in the next uh, six months or so. Yeah, it's one of those ones that can't last forever. Oh, they can try. They can absolutely try. Oh, no, they can absolutely try. <laughs> but, yeah, Um it was, it was one of those ones. It just it has been it's been absolutely wild. It really has. And you know, it can't last forever, as we said, but you know, a storyline that has went from twenty twenty when Roman returned and it's been through so many ups and downs, you know, 
Jay Uso is number one contender, then is the tribal chief, eh, sorry, then is the right-hand man. Jimmy coming back and the uneasiness there. Roman looking like he was going to lose his title in Cardiff, eh, only for Solo Sokoa to make the save. Um, The Sami Zayn part of it all, the Sami Zayn-Kevin Owens drama that comes with it. Roman and Brock, the Roman uh, Paul Heyman, who is he loyal to sort of stuff. The the back and forth with RK Bro, it's just there's been so much in it that's been so good and here's something and I I hate and this is the, the Dave Meltzerisms of wrestling fandom see these people that you know there'll be a bit in a match in New Japan and one guy will win a match where the champion won a match against that person three years ago with that same move in that same arena and that's meant to have some significance to the storyline and you're just like, piss off. Whereas the Roman Reigns thing where he low blows Jey Uso at Night of Champions 2020 and when Jey Uso does it back to Money in the Bank 2023 I didn't pick up on that at first, but it was a cool little wrinkle in the bigger story. It wasn't the whole story that, oh, he beat him the same way he got beat. It was it was a fun little wrinkle in the story, and there's just so much uh, that to enjoy about this story and WWE at the moment, specifically the success of the WWE Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Um, the highest-grossing event, uh, Arena event in WWE history was the Friday Night Smackdown from the O2 on June 30th. Sorry, it was the highest grossing episode of Smackdown of all time. And Money in the Bank is the highest grossing arena event in WWE history. Uh, Smackdown and Money in the Bank generated a combined gate of over $5.4 million. While Money in the Bank also set a new record viewership, sponsored uh, merchandise and social media. Viewership up 17% from last year's Money in the Bank and 30% from Cardiff's 2022 Clash at the Castle event. Um, July 1st was also the highest grossing arena event for venue merchandise in WWE history. It seems to be everything WWE are doing at the minute, it's kind of been hit out of the park. (laughs) There's so many, you see so many tweets from a lot of the, the more reputable journalists in America covering the wrestling uh, the fightful guys, uh, particularly the ones I see, and it's always like WWE's broke a record. WWE's broke a record, and then you see a lot of emails if you subscribe to the WWE like investor stuff, and it's like uh, similar type of thing. I mean, I remember at the start of twenty twenty three when you were getting these WWE emails and you were feared it was Vince McMahon was taking back power. <laughs> now it's like uh, WWE's done this. WWE's done this. It's it's it's, it's terrific to see, and it's kind of it's interesting because you see sometimes. Ross, you'll feel similar to me in this one. Uh, very much, if one person, one, one company does wrong, you'll slag it. If it does well, it does good. But you tend to see so much stuff on Twitter if you, uh, of like, WWE's not doing this, WWE's not doing that. It's like, yeah, they're not, they're not having, you know, I'll say this from my point of view, because this is one thing. They've not got Tegan Knox wrestling every every week, but <laughs> they're, still, they're still selling out all these sort of arenas all these numbers are great. If you follow like the wrestle ticks on Twitter, they tend to always post the stuff the night before. And it's like there's like ten seats left in this arena. WWE ran this arena three years ago and they had like two thousand less. 
it's just such a shift in fortune. It's just it's 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 quite great to see. You you kind of like to see all the wrestling shows kind of sell out, but it just shows that as much as there's a craving for actual proper wrestling, it's good to have that sort of story aspect to it as well. And I think that's what that's, w, that's what WWE's kind of got over AEW at the moment in terms of telling the story. You can't doubt how good like some of the matches like Forbidden Door, like Kenny Omega, uh, Will Osprey was, but at least. You, you find it quite hard at some points in that show right now to find a proper story that kind of sink your teeth into. And WWE's got, you know, the Bloodline stuff. The Judgment Day stuff on Raw is pretty decent as well. There's a lot of elements kind of similar in there. The Shayna Ronda stuff is so much better than it should be. It has no right to be as half-decent as, as, as it is, but they've actually done pretty good with it in two weeks. So, yeah, and, and you see, the more they continue these numbers the more they're going to bring it in. And it also really just shows that, I said this to Gary, when we were watching Money in the Bank, WWE's wasted so many years going to all these places in America where the crowds suck. They are so bad, but yet they keep going back to them. It's like, no, you don't deserve to have all these shows. Come to places like the UK, come to Puerto Rico, go to Canada, you know, Montreal. Look how much they wanted to see the shows. And it just, it filters into the product when the crowd are so into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, something I quite enjoyed, and it was something I, I mentioned to Scott on a previous Central. Um, see when um, the, the last two Saudi Arabian shows um, where the the one where Roman fought Logan Paul and the crowd were going mental for Sami Zayn, they're shouting, Sami, Sami. And when WWE first went there, there were security problems and security issues, and they were they were worried that Sami Zayn was at risk. And that mixed with the Sami and Kevin against Solo and Roman on the last uh, Saudi Arabian show, you saw that these fans there are just WWE fans. They watch the product. They are like you and I. If you bought a ticket for a UK show and you were told, oh, by the way, Roman's not here tonight, you'd be a bit peeved. You know what I mean? They want to see their favourites. They want to see, you know, the best that the show has to offer. And as you mentioned, going back so many times, like the saturated New York market, um, stuff like, like my cousin used to live in New York. Uh, and... I used to ask him about, like, he'd, he'd go to gigs and he'd, I'd be like, oh, when long have you had that ticket book? Oh, he, he just announced it a couple of weeks ago. He was doing a surprise show at Madison Square Garden. You're like, of course he fucking did, because the Americans get everything. <laughs> and, you know, how many times can AEW run Chicago? Oh, yes, Chicago, who have never had a wrestling show in their life, you know, they've been absolutely starved of over the years. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just something, I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to say this, this is no disrespect to because obviously I'm going to this show, you're going to this show, but you see so many people online that are like that, especially maybe some of the American Twitter people who are like that. It's like, oh, AEW have sold 70,000 without announcing a match. What hype for the show is like, there may be some element of that. I'm not going to say there's not an element of it, but there's probably a good element of that as well. That's, that is, one, we've not had these shows in years. Yep. Type of thing. And there was probably also a bit of a bounce element as well. AEW announced this, like, what, maybe three... It was a few... I can't wait how many months, but so many months after WWE announced Money in the Bank, and obviously Money in the Bank was in the O2 Arena, 
only holds a fraction of what Wembley holds. So you had so many people as well that were like, I didn't get a ticket from Monday Bank, I'm going to go for this. So I think it's the whole thing of, it's not the thing of, oh, this company's, the company's red hot. I mean, WWE wasn't as red hot, I'd say, if I remember rightly. They were kind of getting back up. This is, it wasn't long after Triple H took back over. But yeah. it was essentially, we've not had a show in so long. Clash the Castle as well. I mean, WWE was very cold. It went, I think that to some people when Clash the Castle was announced, that sold a decent number, but not as much. So I think there's two elements to it. It's just a, such a thrive and, and such a drive to get wrestling here. I mean, it's, it just shows as well that they, they chucked John Cena out of Money in the Bank to try and hype a WrestleMania London announcements, which we still have no idea if they're actually going to follow through with. I, I'll put on record, I don't think that's happening. No, I would I would very much be doubtful of it. Although they might, if uh, if all in breaks records, they might want to try and break rec- they try and put the take the record back. And the only thing, 100%. the only two things that could really guarantee take a record back is if they do a mania or if they do a rumble. I think see the UK weather. A uh, rumble will never happen in Wembley. Oh, I don't. Could you could you um, imagine it? Imagine that somebody comes down the ramp and it's just like frozen. <laughs> Some, it's like Titus and you still ramp down this bombing icy bombing stage. Ah, oh. I mean, I remember, do you remember when Paul London used to try skate from one side of the ring to the other? I reckon if you had him in the rumble, he could skate right down the ramp and through both sides of the ring. Um, but from high projection pay per views, uh, both Money in the Bank and Wembley for AEW, to a pay per view that is down. Um, it's the AW New Japan Forbidden Door 2023 estimates that estimated buys are currently down from last year. This is uh, this story was updated on July 7th. So knowing our luck with the central curse, it will come out that it was a record-breaking show once we're off the air. But um, last year's uh, AEW pay-per-view drew about 127,000 buys, which Tony Khan characterised ahead of all projections and expectations. Uh, now in 2023, I'm just looking here. It looks like the buys are down by around about 8%. The Wrestling Observer Newsletter writes, as more buyers shift to streaming and the shows online, the gap's likely to close further as online buys, particularly late ones stemming from word of mouth, about the show's quality are fully accounted for. So... Forbindor late buys have not been at pace with those of Revolution in March, but did unprecedented late levels of business uh, after MGF and Brian Danielson's 60-minute Ironman match. Um, could this be, and we you talked about it there, while there's a hunger for prop like great wrestling and Forbindor had two world-class matches with Okada Danielson and uh, Omega Osprey, while there is that hunger there for that sort of wrestling, the storyline aspect is very important. And last year, you know, Forbidden Door, the the talent crossover from Impact, Ring of Honor, New Japan, AAA had been going on since around about December when Kenny Omega won the AEW World Championship. This year, there wasn't a lot of storyline, pardon me, there wasn't a lot of storyline involving cross-promotion stuff. You know, there was a, a promo by Danielson via satellite at a New Japan show. Okada showed up 
on two episodes of Dynamite and then they wrestled. And while the match was great, there was no storyline other than I want to fight you. Well, I want to fight you. This is a dream match. Then that was it. We've seen before, especially with like WWE, when stuff is called a dream match, i.e. Nakamura, AJ Styles, that's not enough of a storyline to get people invested. Yeah, I'm actually, I thought it might have done better than last year because, I'll be brutally honest, the, the build to last year's was pretty terrible. It was not a good build at all. I thought they actually did elements of this build better than they did last year. I thought the I thought the, the international championship stuff was pretty decent, although they probably could have made better use of, you know, they may have had Jack, Zack Sabre Jr. in another match, given that he's a champion in New Japan. Uh, they had the elite Blackpool Combat stuff, which has been running quite, quite well. Um, Osprey Omega was done pretty well, but yeah, the... I think that's the problem with any type of crossover shows is trying to fit it in around everything else is doing. Also trying to coordinate it with the other company because you've got to remember there's obviously some level of politics here because obviously if some of their guys lose, how's that going to build into other stuff, you know, how's things going to go? So it's a tricky concoction, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I did think it would have probably bettered last year's off of those two matches alone, because you know, Osprey Omega it has some. It's, it's a it was a big rematch, you know, given what they did earlier in the year, and um, to see Danielson or Gada wrestle was something. I mean, they may have been put off by seeing Minoru Suzuki being randomly put in with Chris Jericho again, but <laughs> and and then having to um, having to listen to Jungle Boy try to sell a match. <laughs> oh Jesus I mean I, I can say things about Jungle Boy he's still a terrible promo I know he's a heel now but oh my god absolutely look Perry he is not uh, <laughs> no he's definitely not, he's definitely not <laughs> it's safe to say Luke Perry did not get by on his acting ability he got by on his looks and being a 90s heartthrob and his son has taken his acting ability from his dad <laughs> Clearly, yeah, but yeah, I think it's something they could. There's obviously some level of success with this one. Uh, they'll take it forward, but I think they probably need to start. I think they could probably maybe do with having it later in the year. Maybe having it like back a month. Maybe putting it to July and running it with that. I mean, I can maybe see why they maybe didn't do it this year because I'm doing Wembley as well, but. I think AEW, they really, they really need to consider how they space out the pay-per-views going forward because there's you find times that they've got these ones that are kind of clustered together and then you've got like this spell where it's like three months before it. So if they maybe structured that a bit better and having it like that and obviously all in and they've got six pay-per-views that, at that point, run one every two months and see how that goes and give them all the similar time to breathe. And then, but then at the same time as well, you've got a lot of these New Japan guys who are in all these tournaments over the summer. So it's a hard concoction to try and make it work. But yes, it does, there are enjoyable shows as a standalone. It's just how they have to, how they would probably sell it if it's just going to be like, we're just going to put on good matches. Yeah. 
Listen, if that's what they're saying, then like, listen, like I, I would love to see if they went. Listen, tune in to AEW versus New Japan Forbidden Door. We're not going to announce any matches, and on the night you're going to see some dream matches. Great, fucking great. But you're still going to have to have storylines leading up to the pay per view that maybe aren't being resolved at the pay per view, but they can be a thread throughout the night. You know, someone costing someone a championship match, someone complaining about someone else blah 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 or you know someone coming to someone's aid you can still do all that because you need storylines coming out of the pay-per-view but if you turn around and went listen this is a one-off show we're going to do dream matches you're going to love it it's going to be a great wrestling show and then we'll move on with the stories right cool i'm, I'm fine with that an almost survivor series style concept where all the storylines stop for a couple of weeks and it's just raw v smackdown i I'd be fine with that. Um, but let's talk about another uh, good standalone show that maybe isn't getting the ratings it should, and that's AEW's Collision. Uh, AEW's new Saturday night show with CM Punk as the focal point. I've I've been watching through non-illegal means. You know, <laughs> I stick, don't, don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> uh, I watched the... I watched the first two episodes of Collision and then when I was watching Money in the Bank with Scott the other week, um, by the time Money in the Bank finished and we, you know, got done texting people and talking, oh my God, that was a great show. It was 20 to 1 and we're like, do you want to just watch Collision? And we did and it was a really enjoyable episode as was this past Saturday's as well. It's been a really enjoyable show because almost um, NXT-wise where the reintroducing slash int- slash introducing, easy for me to say, uh, wrestlers while having one big guy as the focal point. CM Punk is the focal point. Um, reintroducing Miro and Andrade, repackaging the likes of Scorpio Sky and Powerhouse Hobbs, allowing Ricky Starks to have more TV time and Jay White to have more TV time. And it feels like, you know, they do these old school sort of like, WCW War Games promos at the start each night where it's like Punk with FTR and Ricky Starks and then Bullet Club Gold and they're hyping up the matches because they're all in this is the feud at the minute and they're all in some sort of you know some sort of variation of matches and it's a really good show I've really been enjoying it it's an enjoyable two hours that flies by unfortunately Saturday night might be all right for fighting, as the theme song says, but it's not all right to have a TV show on that night. Uh, the first three weeks of Collision's ratings, uh, 816,000 for the debut episode, uh, 595,000 for the second episode, and 432,000 for the episode, uh, the week of Money in the Bank, or however. I think people might have been a bit wrestled out, having just watched four hours of what was a 10 out of 10 pay-per-view for me. Um, and same with same with the week before. Actually, you could blame the fact that they had a special live rampage and a forbidden door either side of AEW Collision. But I'm going to read a tweet out that Jonathan Coachman uh, tweeted. Jesus, no, I've seen this one. No. Someone tweeted him saying, "Looks like someone should have warned them, Coach." And Coach says, "Kyle, what do I know?" According to AEW fans, been out of the business too long. You don't know AEW. You don't know the fans. You're an idiot. Just watch. Tony will show you. 
Let me repeat myself for those except Kyle who clearly listened. Wrestling shows do not work on Saturdays. Never have, never will. Now, you can all try and come up with something else, but try and understand. Some of us who are in the business kind of know what we're talking about. All I said was, would never float about. I I would never float about being right and entire fan base being wrong. Not my style. Um, yeah, it's... See, when you look at WWE, and WWE has been about for, you know, over over 50 years, WWE have very rarely had three shows going at the same time. You look at when they had Raw and they had Heat, uh, and they would usually record Heat before Raw or after Raw, and sometimes they would do live Heats, but they would do before pay-per-views. Then with the introduction of SmackDown, Sunday Night Heat became a sort of seashore and no one really paid attention to it anymore. Then they tried ECW, and running three shows and three arenas and three house show markets didn't work. So ECW got moved to before SmackDown. Then they tried NXT, and that stayed in its game show format before SmackDown. Then they eventually cracked the three-show market. However, what they had to do was promise people four weeks worth of shows to get people in, and that was at Full Sail University. They did TV tapings. They didn't do live TV the same as Raw and SmackDown. And even then, they were going to smaller arenas. And even then, sometimes it wasn't selling out. You know, the other two weren't selling out. So it is a difficult thing to balance three shows. And they drew 2,000 fans last week. That's not a good thing. That is a a poor night. And, yeah, it's hard to do. And I know they want to keep it, you know, separate from separate from uh, Dynamite because they want to keep Punk and the Young Bucks and Punk and Omega separate. I get that. But what you should be doing then is doing Rampage and Collision as tapings. You should be doing them on a Friday night and then it's only 24 hours people need to avoid spoilers for. But it's just, it's not working. Collision is a good show, but Saturday night isn't a night for wrestling. As a banger of a future, I'll say that. So, I don't mind. I don't mind that when I go on to watch. Then the rampage one. The rampage one can get quite annoying after a few weeks. <laughs> you know, rampage, baby. No, it's like there's just something that's different about Elton John. You know, I just can't. I can't wait till Fulham next play Watford. That's going to be some interesting clash. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think on the note of rampage, I think collision is essentially what rampage should be. What Rampage should have been. It should have been something completely different and something that kind of works in terms of story to story. I mean, when Rampage first started off, you obviously had the Punk return at the first dance, all these sort of stuff. You thought, this is going to be interesting, this is going to be different. Then they eventually just started just chucking all this random stuff on Rampage. And Rampage kind of just feels now like the one of the shows where Tony Khan just likes to chuck these random dream matches type things on to just like I think there was a rampage a couple of weeks ago where they had uh, three title matches or something on it and I think all of them were non-AW championship I think it was the U Japan Strong title was defended the Ring of Honor TV not the Ring of Honor sorry the U Japan TV title the AAA title was defended as like Tony none of these are your titles you've got got about seven eight titles defend one of them on the TV for God's sake so then that's what um, that's the problem with Rampage I think Rampage is 
I think it's a ticking time bomb rampage of when it's going to eventually get cut. I don't see it get extended too much, as much as Tony will try and shout for it. But, rap, but Collision, you actually feel when you watch it, they're actually trying to develop something with it. There's all these guys who had potentially they've been lost in the shuffle or had been the sort of the, the the kids that were causing the teacher issues type thing with the likes of <laughs> you get like Miro who's talking about Miro not wanting to be there. Alice, Malachi Black, he apparently didn't want to be there and he's now the House of Black are apparently exclusive there. Of course, CM Punk was a bit of a problem child. FTR is another one in there. Thunder Rosa is going to be on that show as well. Andrade, as you mentioned, there's all these elements to it that kind of makes you think this is different from Dynamite, but it's different in a way that you want to watch it. Well, as Rampage was in a way like, we're going to watch this and they're going to tease Keith Lee versus Swerve. And then Keith Lee going to Swerve is not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. Take that, blah, 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 blah. But obviously, as you mentioned, Saturday night, it's traditionally. WWE have done the pay-per-views with it. AW have done the pay-per-views with it. Most big, you know, sport organisation will do something on a Saturday night, like the boxing. But it's occasional. It's a big thing. To ask people to kind of constantly tune in every week to watch something for two hours. I mean, this week coming up, they're going to ask them to watch for three hours because for some reason they think bringing Battle of the Belts back is great, even though just they could probably stick it on Rampage. And make rampage decent for a week, but I digress. You've got this. You've got these aspects to it. It's a difficult thing for it because Saturday nights and night, everybody regularly they'll go out, they'll do something, they maybe go out for a meal, they maybe go out for a drink, type idea. It's a hard one to kind of get that kind of market sold on it, which I think is why, from what I've heard, Warner Brothers Discovery of not setting it to have like certain ratings, they just kind of want it to be somewhere in a slot they want it to be kind of either top five or top ten which is semi-realistic i think it is to say is because they've been top five four weeks out of t- four weeks no three weeks out of four because this uh, past week there it was five hundred eighty thousand apparently which was fifth in the rating so not bad it's uh you can it, uh, the concept's good there's good stuff on it i thought the tag match between fdr and bullet club gold was really good this past week it's yeah. a job Punk was a good sell on it, but it's how it's going to work long term is going to be interesting. How they can keep the viewers interested in it. And it's kind of, it, like I said, it did have that WCW vibe, you know. Instead of instead of the Horsemen versus the Stinger Squadron, it was you know Bullet Club Gold versus the Punk Patrol, and <laughs> it has been it has been a good show. That's the frustrating thing about you know we we talk about. Um, the mental gymnastics sometimes that people go through with AEW ratings, like, oh, it got this, but it actually beat NXT in this score, so actually that means AEW wins and, you know, crap like that. But this has actually been a really good, consistent show for four weeks in a row. And you you mentioned Battle of the Belts. They're doing Collision then Battle of the Belts right after each other, despite having a two out of three falls match for the AEW Tag Team Championships on Collision when they've got a show called Battle of the Belts immediately after it. But it's going to be hard to get ratings for that because it's also day one of the G1 Climax and it's Slammiversary from Impact Wrestling taking place at the same time. So it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see the, the viewership from, uh, from this week's one because I know, obviously, Japan's at a different time zone. 
but people maybe watch that later in the day instead of watching Collision. Uh, and Slammiversary is one of the, the big four pay-per-views for Impact that usually does quite good uh, numbers. Could you imagine what they're going to chuck on Battle of the Belts? That's where they're probably going to have Hook versus Jungle Boy for the FTW Championship type, type thing. You know, it's going to be like... Well, they have, a, they have announced uh, Luchasaurus versus Sean Spears for the TNT Championship, so at least one AEW Championship is on there. What? Yeah, that's a, that's a match I'm going to tune in an extra hour for. You know, Sean Spears has not has wrestled like once in 12 months. He's now got a title shot. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, uh, man. Make it make uh, sense. If I uh, happened in WWE, if I'd be going like that, well, what, what about this person? What about that person? <laughs> I mean, in fairness, WWE did it the other week. Reg, if you beat Austin Theory, you can have a title match. Seamus attacks Austin Theory. All right, Seamus, you can have a title match next week. Like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I don't like it then. I don't like this one now. You know, no. it's like, it's like, come on. You know, me, there's all these guys that are winning matches. You know, you say like, such and such has such and such a record. All right, put them in there. Give them the show. Let's talk about um, day one of the G1 Climax because uh, we'll just touch on this because there is an East Meets West out. Uh, with Scott and Grant. Scott and Grant asked everyone to give predictions. A lot of us, myself included, are not regular New Japan viewers, so we did our best. And the arseholes sat for two hours and just made fun of us for our picks. So if you want to listen to two smarky gets, uh, continue listening to our show. If you want to listen to two smarkier gets, go listen to East Meets West with Scott and Grant and Robbie when they preview the G1 Climax. But Stephen, get your get your picks ready, and we'll talk about who we've got. You know, who we took a blind stab in the dark to win this tournament. <laughs> see, I have a, a I'm kind of like a middle ground New Japan. I kind of follow it, but I don't watch it as much as the guys on East Meets West do. So I have some sort of idea what's going on. Although I seem to like, I've I've looked back at my my predictions. About four of the five categories I predicted Shuta Amino to win to do something good in it. <laughs> so I predicted him to win it. I can't, I don't know why. I kind of just had a stab that he might actually win. Because I think they should give somebody who's not, you know, I my thing about you Japan is they they have all these really acclaimed matches. It's great, but it's always the same guys who are round about the top. It's Okada, Naito, yeah. Tanahashi. Osprey's obviously got himself into that one. Omega was in there at times. They need, they need some some other guy to kind of be in there. They've tried it with Sanada recently. They tried it with Evil three years ago, which was a bust. I mean, Evil's greatest achievement in life was getting Io Shirai to go out with him. Um, yeah, hopefully he doesn't listen to this show and hunt me down. Uh, so I need somebody else like that into that upper echelon. And I think Shuta Amino is a kind of guy who seems to be primed for that type of role. So I've got, I've got him winning his group. I've got him having the standout performance. I'm trying to actually remember the questions. I'm trying, I have him having the surprise performance. I have him having the best match in his group against Ren Narata, who I remember being quite good. Uh, and I have him obviously winning. Uh, uh, the, the four winners of the group I've got is Amino, Osprey, Zack Sabre Jr. and Dave Finlay. Um, Dave Finlay is the leader of Bullet Club. You know, if you've not watched You Japan in a while, that's... Uh, That'll be an interesting take for you. I've got the two members of uh, the Mighty Don't Kneel <laughs> from from WWE uh, time, obviously, for, for some people. Um, Mikey Nichols and Shane Hasty took up to lose their group 
Uh, who else have I got in here? Ishii versus Eddie Kingston is a match that I've got as one of my matches to do really well. I just think the two of them are just going to slap the shit out of each other. Well, Eddie it's King- rather amusing. Now, the never open, is it the New Japan Strong or the, is it the never open weight championship he won? I think it's the never open weight he won. So, no, uh, Eddie Kingston fulfilling a, a lifelong dream of winning a, a championship in New Japan. So, congrats to him, and I look forward to seeing it defended on the next Battle of the Belts. <laughs> well, oh, the big defendant in this. No, no, he's, over, he's, he's not in the country anymore. See if he was, see if it had been pre taped or something like that. That'd be great. Eddie Kingston defending it against, uh, oh, who's there? Butcher. Imagine that. <laughs> Butcher from Butcher on the Blade. <laughs> well, then, so the questions were, who did you, there's four blocks, uh, A, B, C and D block. Who did you think was going to win the block? Who did you think was going to finish bottom? It was your surprise performer, which I misread as, who do you think will be the best performer? Uh, and what's your match of the of the block? So I've won uh, Sanada to win his block. He's an A block, the current IWGP World Champion. Gabriel Kidd to finish bottom. Sanada to be the best performer. And Sanada versus Kiyo, Kiyomiya. Uh, he's from ETC. Uh, pardon me on the pronunciations. I mean no offence here, but I'm a moron. <laughs> B block, I had Okada finishing top because, of course, he bloody will. Great O'Can finishing bottom. Will Osprey to be the best performer and Osprey and Kenta to be the match of B Block. C Block, you mentioned Dave Finley being leader of the Bullet Club. Bullet Club at war again. It's kind of like uh, Mike, uh, Mark Dallas losing control of ICW to the black label, the gold label, the blue label, the label label. Um, and it leads to a big, a big sort of multi-man match. But I have Tamatonga finishing top of C Block. Uh, Mikey Nichols finishing bottom Dave Finley to be the best performer and the grudge match of Finley versus Tonga to be the match of C Block uh, on the D Block I've got Naito as the best performer Zack Sabre Jr. to win it Tori Yano to finish bottom and Naito versus Zack Sabre Jr. to be match of the D Block and to win the whole damn thing I've went Tama Tonga just to get someone new in there and because really he's the only person I've properly no <laughs> I had a passing interest in New Japan about two years ago and I really enjoyed uh, Tamatonga so yeah that's my predictions if you are a New Japan fan you're probably listening thinking what an absolute moron none of that is happening what you've just done is like predicting the Miz to win the Royal Rumble and I do apologise However, if you're not a New Japan fan, but you want to know more about it, East meets West on uh, the East Sleep Suplex Retweet Network, Scott and Grant know a hell of a lot more than this, and they'll be covering it throughout the tournament. I think they'll do maybe a halfway show and a, a final show after the group stages, and then possibly like a, a semi-final and finals review. Don't quote me on that. I might have just gave them more work to do. It's a, it's a big-ass tournament this year. It's running from July 15th to uh, August 13th, so they, they, might, they might have one in the middle, depending on their schedule, and they'll definitely have one after it, going through pretty much everything. And Ross, if if you knew anything about all these tournaments, you know Toro Yano has a sneak win somewhere in the middle, so he's not finishing bottom. He's 100%. He'll come maybe third bottom, because he'll beat some really, really good wrestler. But he's, like, he's like Livingston. 
Yeah, he always pops up with a win, and you're like, "How the fuck did we lose to Livingston?" <laughs> oh, there was the, 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 you probably people have obviously seen the memes of it because they, the, the the year that Moxley was in it in 2019, where Moxley was everywhere, and it looked like Moxley was going to sh- take the tournament like a canter, and then Yano beat him, and it's that meme that keeps coming up of just like Moxley kind of staring into the abyss in the ring, like that's because of Toro Yano, you know, he's he's he's. He, Toro Yano is like the Miz. He's like the Miz of New Japan. He just kind of he sneaks wins occasionally, and <laughs> he seems to be quite well liked. So I, sure. I may have got that. I may have got that comparison completely wrong, and I'll get some hate. I think he does. I think I think he's more of a notice. <laughs> he he rode a wave of popularity at one point, and now it's just kind of a thing. He's there. He goes through ebbs and flows, but he'll not be as popular as he was again. I mean, Otis is quite an accomplished amateur wrestler. I don't know. I don't know if, if Toro Yano's got the same type of amateur CV. I may again be wrong on that one, but the East Meets West guys will probably tell you about that on the next show after listening to this. I know they're probably sitting slating us uh, as they're listening to this just now. Like, no morons. Anyway, let's move on to Impact's Slammiversary. Uh, Impact Slammiversary taking place from St. Clair College in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, this coming Saturday, July 15th. Um, Ten matches on the card. I'm just going to run down the card just now. Uh, Joe Hendry continuing his run in Impact as the Impact Digital Media Champion. He'll be defending against Kenny King. Uh, Jody Threat and the Death Dolls, because it has to be a rule, there is at least one Death Dolls match on every Impact pre-show. Taking on the Shotterage, which is Giselle Shaw, Savannah Evans and Jay Vidal. Uh, Ultimate X makes a return to Impact to determine the number one contender for the Impact X Division Championship. Jonathan Gresham, Mike Bailey, Kevin Knight, uh, Angels and Kushida. The Coven, Taylor Wilde and Killing King, (coughs) taking on Killer Kelly and Masha Slamovich for the Impact Knockouts World Tag Team Championships. Eddie Edwards and uh, Kazarian have the rubber match in their feud. Eddie Edwards' his wife, Alicia, getting involved in a lot of their matches. So Frankie Kazarian bringing back the original knockout, his wife, Tracy Brooks, to be in his corner for this. A fatal four-way tag team match for the Impact World Tag Team Championships. A bullet club of Ace Austin and Chris Bay taking on Brian Myers and Moose, taking on Rich Swan and Sammy Callahan, taking on subculture of Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster. A Chris Sabin, I was about to say Kasabian, Chris Saban taking on Leo Rush before he retires for the 98th time <laughs> for the X Division Championship. Diana Perrazzo defending the Impact's Knockout World Championship against uh, Trinity, formerly Naomi. Billy Ray and Diener, after Steve Macklin got injured, taking on Scott Demore and a partner to be announced in a tag team match. And Alex Shelley defending the Impact World Championship against Nick Aldis. Some really good stuff there, some really confusing stuff there. Just a hodgepodge of matches there. Um, have you been following any Impact, Stephen? Have you been keeping up with anything in the news about Impact? I see a bunch of stuff popping up on Twitter now and again about I don't follow it, you know, a lot. You know, I just kind of dip in time and time. I, the things I see quite a lot, Reese, is like, Billy Ray putting Scott DeMore through flaming tables seems to come up yeah. uh, quite a lot. Um, what other stuff do I see uh, popping in on it? Um, I've seen a lot about the subculture guys, Mark Andrews and Flash Morgan Webster being on it. Um, I've, I've, uh, the, not really 
too much. I'm familiar with pretty much a lot of the people on the card, at least, which is good. There's no real names there that are kind of like, who the hell is that? <laughs> so that's always a good thing. Uh, that women's tag match, that's an interesting one. There's some some good names on that one. Masha Slamovich is a blooming crazy-ass <laughs> bitch. <laughs> I've seen a lot of her stuff on the... Uh, the GCW stuff she did she did Bloodsport quite a lot as well so does Kelly Kelly actually so the two of them I'd love to see them take their titles and then just kick the shit out of everybody Taylor Wilde did she not retire? She's retired as many times as Leo Rush has <laughs> they retired as much as David Campbell <laughs> um, one of the matches and what we'll do um, I'll get hold of Scott and we'll maybe do a wee 20 minute preview of impact for people that actually watch it but what we'll do i'll have a a a bit of a rant as i always do about impact wrestling because it does so many things well and then it just does one thing very badly and it's that one fault much like fraser and niles me and scott pick at that one fault instead of enjoying the good stuff but um steve macklin uh in impact's recent down under tour in australia uh, suffered a serious injury. It's not been revealed yet what it was. However, he's unable to participate. He was Billy Ray's uh, original partner. Diener has now taken that. But, oh my God, I have hated the direction Impact is going ever since Billy Ray returned to the company, right? And here, here is why. And strap in, Stephen, if you want to go make a cup of tea, fire away. Somewhere around. <laughs> If you had told me Steve Cutler from the Forgotten Sons would come into Impact and be one of the hottest acts of 2021 and 2022, I would have laughed at you. However, Steve Macklin came in with a new attitude, new gear, new wrestling style, wrestling primarily in the X Division, going undefeated. Whenever he lost title matches, it was always multi-man title matches, and it was always like, oh, Macklin had that one. And they gave him so many big pay-per-view wins he beat, so so six impact, either current or former world champions that he beat on pay-per-view. He beat Shelley, he beat Chris, uh, Chris Sabin, he beat Rich Swan, he beat Moose, he beat Sammy Callahan, and sorry, not impact world champion, but IWGP world champion. He also beat Jay White on pay-per-view. So he had had such a great run, and we were heading into Bound for Glory. And Bound for Glory was taking place in Philadelphia this past October. And they did the nice wee bit every time, because it's the rule, whenever you're in Philadelphia, a company has to have people from ECW appear. And Billy Ray and Rhino and Tommy Dreamer all appeared in this battle royal. And it was so clear that the winner should be Steve Macklin. And then at number 20, out comes Matt Cardona, and you think, oh, maybe they're putting a bit of doubt in their head, but it still should be Steve Macklin. And they get down to two, and Steve Macklin loses to Billy Ray, clean as a whistle. Then we get this really crap storyline of, can you trust Billy Ray? And after absolutely no build, it's revealed, no, you can't trust Billy Ray, he's an arsehole. Then they have a pretty brutal hardcore match for the World Championship, Josh Alexander and uh, Billy Ray, which really didn't need to happen. You could have still done that World Championship match and had Steve Macklin win the Call Your Shot Battle Royal because it's essentially their version of Money in the Bank. So then they eventually go, right, we're going to pull the trigger. We're going to do a hard uh, impact rebellion. 
We're going to have Steve Macklin against Josh Alexander. And then Josh Alexander gets injured. So then he gets halted yet again. So then he loses clean to Kushida to give us some some sort of, I don't know, reasonable doubt that Kushida might beat him. He won't. Uh, Steve Macklin wins. No one cares anymore. You know, if you had given the call your shot battle royal when Josh Alexander went to vacate the title, you could have had Macklin cash in and pin him for it just to be a bastard. And it would have continued this character. Meanwhile, in the background, Scott Demore, who can't get over the fact that he never made it as a wrestler, is in the background and he's feuding with Bully Ray because Bully Ray's an arsehole. And you're like, Scott, you're the president of the company. Just fucking fire him. That's the storyline done. But of course, they don't do that. They drag it out. They drag it out. Macklin gets sucked into the succubus of absolute shit. He's not in the main event when he wins the World Championship. That goes to Diana Perrazzo and Jordan Grace. He has a horrendous feud with PCO. And then he loses the World Championship to Alex Shelley, which was a shocker. It was a good match. But then he's then drawn into this absolute gimmick match that he shouldn't be in with... <laughs> With PCO and Scott Demore against Bully Ray and uh, Steve Macklin. Then they set PCO on fire, which, by the way, if you've ever found the clip online, PCO's acting is worse than Natalia's, and that's saying something. And then he goes to the Impact Down Under tour and gets injured. And it's just like we had such, such fun building him to the World Championship, and then we just botched it on the way. We had him lose the, the call your shot gauntlet. We had him lose to Alex Shelley cleanly. We had his title run overshadowed by the women's title scene and the uh, the Scott Demore Billy Ray feud. And now you're just left with Steve Macklin looking like another guy. And it's just it's just it's fucking frustrating because this is the sort of thing they did in the Dixie Carter era and they're doing it again. That's my rant done, by the way. <laughs> Absolutely, I, I, I found the clip of PCO on fire. <laughs> oh, horrendous! Isn't it? Oh, it, it, it just, is it the one he just, he's on his, he just kind of gets up and he's like a zombie, <laughs> screaming. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Like now, um, PC. The thing, I, I, I'll, I'll go on PCO quickly because um, PCO was a guy who came, who had a. a a few months of momentum when he had that match with Walter uh, Gunther, obviously now, mm-hmm. uh, a few years ago. Oh. And then, that was like four years ago. Now, it's, you know, he's kind of, four years on, you're kind of like, yeah, the stick just doesn't work anymore. I could, yeah. compare, it, I could compare it to Matt Hardy for you, Ross, but you've already had one rant. Let's kind of save the oh, ranting oh, no. <laughs> for, for now. So Matt, You jumped ship to WWE, you took the money, the momentum went, but you got the money. Take the bag and stop trying to make the delete happen again. So, yeah, that's one aspect of it. I think PCO is kind of cold as anything. Billy Ray. Billy Ray ever since, I'm trying to think. See, any time he's came back anywhere since he was the TNA world champion when he had that run. Actually, see after, he, see after him and Devon left WWE. Yeah. Uh, when they had that year comeback run. Anytime he's came back anywhere since then, it's always been like, oh, Billy Ray. Anytime Billy Ray says something controversial on YouTube on the Busted Open show, it's always the same. 
I don't know why they keep using them in these sort of ways because it's just nobody wants to see it anymore. Bill, the, the only way you can get a good pot for Billy Ray these days is if you bring Devon back. And Devon's gubbed. So it's yeah. just not going to work in terms of that. Scott Devore, you forget Scott Devore even tried to be a wrestler. I remember yeah. the Scott Devore being a really annoying wee dick from Team Canada. Yeah, so he was he was their manager, but like he posted a thing on Twitter the other day, eh, sorry on Instagram the other day, and it was a The Rock when he was champion in nineteen ninety eight when he just joined the Nation of Domination, and they had obviously had a deal with this um, Canadian company, and they let The Rock go there, and he defended the IC title against Scott Demore. So there's there's a match that happened in wrestling history. Scott Demore against The Rock. I mean, nothing else probably should have happened in Scott Demore's career because he's just a, it just does not look like a wrestler in general. Cody Dina or Dina as he's called, uh, he didn't he kill Eric Young on storyline for him to not familiar. <laughs> he he started the design, um, which was an offshoot of Violent by Design with uh, Connor from the Ascension. And angels from uh, oh fuck, what are they called? Dark Order. Yeah, Alan Angels. Yeah. On a recent episode of um, Impact, last week's episode actually, uh, angels told him, "I don't need you anymore," and he left. Uh, shook hands with Jonathan Gresham after a match, and then left. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I've got the poster here. Friday, May 29th, nineteen ninety-eight, Border City Championship Wrestling, the main event. The Rock, Rocky Maivia, the Intercontinental Champion, taking on the BCW Can-Am American Heavyweight, heavyweight Champ, Scott Demore, uh, in a special challenge match. Uh, Larry Destiny Braun taking on WWF's Nation of Domination, D'Lo Brown. So there was <laughs> also um, BCW TV title match, WWF star, the Brooklyn Brawler, uh, taking on three-time All-Canadian Chris Church. And uh, see see if you know who this tag team are. Uh, the Suicide Blondes featuring Sexton Hardcastle and Christian Cage. Oh, that's, that is, of course, uh, Edge and Christian. <laughs> uh, so an absolute fever dream of a, <laughs> of a card here. But yes, uh, 25 years ago, uh, he stepped in the ring with The Rock for Border City Wrestling. So I'm sorry, Scott. But take that as a win and stop wrestling on TV. I don't care how many Canadian destroyers you do. Can I, can I, I just can, can I just say with this card, what I will think mm. is this is just I could judge how wrestling Twitter reacts to everything. How yeah. much do you think there'll be a, a lose your shit type of reaction if the show ends with Trinity and Nick Aldis as champions? I think Nick Aldis will be the world champion. I don't think Trinity will be champion yet. I think Anna Perazzo and her have had this uneasy rivalry. I think, pardon me, Perazzo goes full heel to retain the title. Trinity wins it eventually. But Scott Demore no longer has a tag partner. Billy Ray and Dean are versus Scott Demore and to be uh, to be announced. Darren McCarthy will serve as a special guest enforcer for those of you that don't watch hockey. He played for the Detroit Red Wings and the Calgary Flames. Um, that would be, I don't know, 
like getting Dean Ashton in as a special guest enforcer for a, for a British. I mean, I, I mean, comparing a man who won four Stanley Cups to Dean Ashton, I mean, that's a bit harsh on him. I mean, does you could have said it as like I don't know who's a who's a kind of like maybe it's like Scott Carson. I mean, Scott Carson's won two Champions Leagues in so many leagues, but he doesn't kick a ball. Dean Ashton was just. Um, yeah, I don't really know. I don't really know how to scream Dean Ashton to people who don't watch football. If he didn't get injured, move on. But who do you think will be Scott Demure's partner? Because I don't know if they're going to maybe phone and ask Tony Khan because AEW still do have a good relationship with Impact. Um, for someone, my current bet is that James Storm, and it's my go-to every time there's an, an open challenge or a mystery partner, I'm going with James Storm to be Scott Demore's partner. I mean, I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of a left field one. I'm, I'm I'm trying to think who's on the roster. I don't really see anybody. Oh God! I just had I just had a thought. Tommy Dreamer's been off recently. They had like their big blow off match at a Rebellion back in April, and he took some time off when his his mother unfortunately passed. But I do not want to see Tommy Dreamer wrestle again. I mean. A part of me thinks they might throw Santino in there. Um, and, and an outside bet, I don't know what his status of comeback is. Josh Alexander, if he's if he's good to go, but I don't know how bad I don't know how long he's out for. It was March. Think, March with a torn tricep. Yeah, it's maybe a bit too tight for him. Yeah. Uh, I don't think he's he's not John Cena. Uh, oh. Let's be brutally honest. Fuck it, yes. Guess Spike WWE's partner. That'd be great. <laughs> it's got it's, it's got to be either some sort some sort of indie darling type thing, as you mentioned, maybe somebody from the AW style roster or some one of these old legends, something like that. Rhino's still kicking about. It may be him. Rhino gets taken out by Steve Macklin. That would make sense. Oh, really? Uh, oh, great. I'm, I'm going with it then. I'm going with it. There we, Steve, we'll there go. We'll go with Rhino. That makes sense. Well, I'll take it. I'm happy. <laughs> um, me and Scott, well, I'll get with Scott this week and we'll do a quick 20-minute one plugging every other match. I'll not rant about Scott DeMore twice, but there is a lot of good on this show. Uh, Joe Hendry, his run and impact has been great. Um, it's his, been great. Really, his videos are really good. His videos are great. Oh. It's been great to see him be allowed to be so creative and be given a spotlight that he deserves. Uh, and he's held the Impact Digital Media Championship for quite a while now, actually. Uh, October 22nd was when he won the Impact title. 261 days uh, he's held the title for. Uh, Ultimate X, I mean, Mike Bailey has been great. Gresham, great. Kevin Knight uh, starting to make some waves in New Japan. Kushida, always a highlight. And Alan Angel's great as well. Eddie Edwards versus Frankie Kazarian, their two matches have been great so far. And uh, Subculture versus uh, Ace and Bay, they had a great match at Impact under Siege. It'd be great to see them going at it again. And of course, Rich Swan, Sammy Callahan, Moose and Brian Myers, all great wrestlers. So, as a card I'm looking forward to, but unfortunately I have spent the last 10 minutes just <laughs> ranting about uh, Scott Demore and Billy Ray and how they're killing the company. But they're killing the company. There's all this good stuff. Don't contradict me. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about some stuff that's um, just some wrestling news and rumours that I've got here, okay? So, 
Uh, reports that WWE plan to turn LA Knight babyface sooner rather than later. Um, I don't know if you've seen the clip from Madison Square Garden this week. Hit Row come out, LA Knight comes out and battles them all by himself. The crowd going absolutely mental. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, it was really, really well done uh, in terms of that. I can, you can see why they, a part of the plan was that's always going to be on tw- uh, on Twitter, social media. I think part of them going into SmackDown this week thought we're going to, that bloodline segment is going to run long. Yeah. You give some of these things time to breathe and having that LA Knight segment on there, it was good. It, it got the pop from the live crowd, which is good for the, for the garden. Yeah. And obviously, you know, hit row on TV. I mean, is that a win? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, flop dollar is it, there are few funnier things in wrestling just now, few more better continued storylines than Michael Cole's hatred for top dollar and the fact that he failed at a dive. It's just absolutely sensational. Um WWE have announced two, well, they've announced one pay-per-view, another one set to be announced. Uh, Fastlane taking place in Indianapolis, Indiana, Indiana, for the first time ever on Saturday, October 7th. The first time Fastlane's went there, sorry, it's the first time a WWE pay-per-view has aired from there in seven years. So returning to markets that don't get enough exposure. And we'll return to Saudi Arabia Saturday, November 4th. Uh, WWE's yet to publicly announce this. So that looks like Survivor Series will probably be the last week in uh, November. So two in November, one in October, and maybe possibly not one in September to let the storylines from SummerSlam maybe breathe and allow them to make new storylines. They could have it early in September, obviously, because uh, SummerSlam's the first month of August, so there might still be time to do something like that and still have, as you mentioned, the brief time on it. I think they've got. Yeah. I think they've announced the pay-per-views up till Survivor Series. I think the names have been announced. It's going to be. I, do, I can't really remember what he's fastly. I think there might be payback as well. It's in there. No, wait, no. Did they not announce Survivor Series for Chicago? They did. Yeah, they have announced. They have announced it in the past couple of weeks. Actually, they announced. Yeah. It. Hold on, I'm get the pay-per-views. So, uh, I'm going to get it quickly up here. Da, da, da. Yeah, so SummerSlam in Detroit, payback in Pittsburgh on September second. Uh, Fastlane, as you mentioned there, in, in Indianapolis uh, on October 7th. Then there's a gap till November 25th, which will be Survivor Series in Chicago. So, so there's that space in there for a Saudi pay-per-view if they want to do it. Well, there we go. That's the upcoming pay-per-view schedule for WWE. A um, couple of quick ones. WWE sending Seth Rollins, Becky Lynch, Bianca Belair and Montez Ford to the ESPN SP Awards taking place on July 12th. Matt Riddle, that's tomorrow actually, uh, Wednesday, July uh, Wednesday, July 12th, easy for me to say. Matt Riddle and his partner, Misha Montana, are expecting a baby. Uh, congrats to them. Uh, a comeback could be on the card. Stephen Artruth, according to PW Insider, being spotted in Birmingham, Alabama earlier this week, likely being checked on how soon he can return to the ring. Uh, would you welcome an R-Truth comeback? I think he's got his place in some capacity. Uh, it was a nasty injury. Got he was when he was on NXT for a couple of weeks, if, if I remember rightly. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's, he's got he's got some use. He's quite good to have about uh, there. He's quite a loyal worker, but he is getting on a fair bit now. Is he in his fifties now, Artruth? Or is he? He is ageless. Yeah, he's fifty. He's fifty one. He's fifty one. So uh, if, if, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if he's. 
if he decides to take it easy now a wee bit. But I think WWE will use him in some capacity. It's good to kind of wheel out for these kind of funny segments, you know. And yeah. He could probably he could probably still take a bump. I would love for him to have one more one segment again with, with Brock to try and break Brock again. That was <laughs> fantastic when he did that. Um, AEW's Blood and Guts will take place in the TD Garden, Boston on July 19th. Someone who suffered an injury this past week but not expected to miss it is Wheeler Utah. Apparently suffered an apparent calf injury on this past Wednesday night's edition of AEW Dynamite, according to PW Insider. But Utah's injury is not considered serious and he should be ready for the match of Blood and Guts. Are you looking forward to this? The Elite versus Wheeler Utah? It's a, whatever you call it, it is a War Games match. War Games matches are always fun. Yeah, they, they, they are quite... They're quite good to the type of matches. I, I, I like the rumour that came out this week, uh, a couple of days ago, that apparently CM Punk pitched himself to be the replacement for Dan, for Brian Danielson on the on the Blackpool Combat Club team. That would have been amazing if he could put in that one. But I think there's obviously there's two places up for grabs in the respective teams. I think the place on the elite team is a shoe in I think, personally, to be Kota Ibushi. Don't know if he's going to have signed a, a long-term deal with AEW, but I think it's a, a good bet that he's going to be in this match, given the teases they've had in. And is he in the G1 this year? Sorry? Is he in the G1 this year? No, he's left New Japan. He had a fallout out with him last year and his contract ran out, so he's a free agent. So that's probably why. I think, I think he'll have some sort of short-term deal. I don't think he wants to be committed to a full-time deal anywhere. So I yeah. think him being in this match, obviously he's best pals with Kenny Omega, so... That makes sort of sense. And it pains me to say it a wee bit because I don't really think it's needed, but I think the other member of the Blackpool Combat Club t- uh, team is going to be Jericho. Yeah, because Don Callum. Yeah, I don't want it to be Jericho. I don't like... I mean, you've said this so many times, I agree with you quite a lot, and it he just seems to place himself in every kind of hot feud or by every hot upcoming star. Uh, but it's weird that he's, he's got this stuff going on with Sting. So I don't really know why he's getting involved with this now as well. But who knows, who knows what they're going to go with on it? He is someone who has had a lot of problems with Elite and, you know, uh, from, you know, the Jericho Appreciation Society going up against the Elite to uh, the Inner Circle, uh, his feud with Cody for the World Championship, um, his feud with Hangman Page for the World Championship. So... He has had his run-ins with the, uh, you know, the Bucks and the Elite and all that. So, and obviously his feud with Kenny Omega as well. Um, so it does make sense, but yeah, it, I don't mind him in this group setting if it's just a one-off thing and it's a couple of weeks and then he goes back to stuff. But God, just that jet from the inner circle, which was such a cool group, and like I. I actually said this to you guys because we were talking about wrestling hot takes and I said I thought the best version of Chris Jericho was AEW Le Champion world, uh, <laughs> Chris Jericho and the inner circle were great and that title run was better than any world title run he's had in WWE however also the worst version of Chris Jericho is the one we've got just now that's just kind of floating about and insists on dressing up as the pain maker like Jericho no one cares no one cares about the pain maker uh, yeah it's not good it's not good the pain maker I don't like it I think it was alright when he first did it it made sense when he first did it because he was fighting Okada but every yeah. time he pulled every time he wheels it out now it's like ah oh, 
correct. It's Jericho trying to reinvent himself when he just doesn't. He doesn't. He doesn't need to anymore. I can understand when he did it maybe ten years ago and maybe twenty years ago, but he doesn't need to anymore. Just ride the wave. Yeah. Um, someone who has been rumoured to coming to AEW uh, is Chris Hero. Chris Hero's not wrestled since 2020 when he was part of NXT uh, UK. A Twitter user, user recently tweeted Tony Khan asking, when is Chris Hero coming to AEW? And he responded simply with working on it. Uh, Chris Jericho also revealed recently that uh, on an episode of Talk is Jericho that Chris Hero was considered for the labours of Jericho. Uh, leading up to was it his MGF match? Ah, uh, who knows? There's been that many of these things. He <laughs> was <laughs> considered as one of the labels of Jericho, but um, another match being considered for pay per view is at SummerSlam, Rhea Ripley against Raquel Rodriguez. Um, Rhea has been in these sort of feuds with uh, Delina and Natalia, where she's just squashing people left, right, and centre. Uh, there is that history there with Rhea Ripley and Raquel Rodriguez, formerly Raquel Gonzalez in NXT. Uh, Rhea Ripley's last match in NXT, she actually returns tonight, but her last match in NXT was a last woman standing match where Raquel Rodriguez put her through the stage. Yeah, I like the idea. I think if you look at the Raw women's roster currently, Obviously, Ronda and Shayna are having their own thing at the moment. Trish, Becky and Zoe Stark have their own thing. So if you take them aside, there's only two credible candidates that they've built up on the Raw roster to take on Rhea right now. And it is Raquel and Liv. And I think the Raquel match, as you mentioned, has got the history. I think it's a lot more... It brings a bit of doubt to Rhea's reign. I think there are two matches that you've had. I mean, Vega put up a decent fight. Natalia thankfully put up no fight at all. Uh, so I think Raquel was a genuine threat that they kind of need for Rhea's reign right now because she's not really wrestled a lot since she won the belt. So this is kind of good. And I think it's also good for Raquel. It gives some shows. They seem to have, they seem really high on Raquel. You can tell just anytime she's won the tag titles three times now, you know. So, and she's won NXT Women's Championship. She's won lots of belts, is the best way to put it. So. I think it's a good opportunity for the two of them and it should hopefully elevate the title a wee bit more. Yeah. Um, Fightful Select is reporting on the health of two WWE superstars out injured, Johnny Gargano and Bray Wyatt. Johnny Gargano, according to Fightful, is no longer injured and was almost involved in the recent Raw episode in Gargano's hometown of Cleveland, Ohio. His stats for SummerSlam remains unknown. But there are talks of a reunion with DIY partner Tommaso Ciampa. However, Bray Wyatt has been out with an unspecified illness since February. And Wyatt, uh, Wyatt being off TV has led to Bobby Lashley, Uncle Howdy, portrayed by Bo Dallas, and Alexa Bliss all being off TV as well as their plans factored in with them. And it obviously doesn't help now that Alexa Bliss is pregnant and will not be on <laughs> On uh, well, TV, yeah, that's probably the key thing with Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah, <laughs> that is the key thing. But it, obviously, originally it was because yeah, uh, yeah. that because we did have that weird feud with um, Bianca Belair, where Bray Wyatt and Uncle Howdy were were sort of hiding in the background. But yeah, a bit of a weird one there. But 
that'll probably do is for this week. Uh, we've touched on a lot of stuff, a lot of wrestling. So I will, I will pipe in quickly because we don't want the curse of a uh, central to loom over you a wee bit. While we've been on air, it's been announced that appearing for the first time in GCW on August the 9th in Detroit will be the brother of one of your least favourite current wrestlers, one that you've mentioned, that will be Jeff Hardy, will be making his first ever appearance in GCW at the start of next month. Considering AEW won't be leaving Canada anytime soon, he can't get in there. I think, B, was it Detroit you said? Detroit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's as close as the Canadian border he's going to get, isn't it? So, at least he's doing something in the meantime. Um, listen, I did say, because uh, we we talked in the chat, there was rumours of Matt Hardy being, quote-unquote, excited for his uh, AEW Wembley plans. Listen, if it's a multi-man ladder match with him and Jeff or him and uh, Isaiah Cassidy, great. If it's anything that involves a singles match or Ethan Page or the Hardy Family Foundation, I'm going to be in the pisser, okay? That'll be I mean, my mistake. I mean, it looks like he's got a feud going on with Jeff Jarrett, so the, the McLeod brothers <laughs> both might be in the pisser at that particular point in time. <laughs> favourite wrestler versus my least favourite wrestler. They've, they've also announced the uh, GCW that immediately following Jeff's appearance and that show, he will take stage for a live concert. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the ones. Do we have to go to this? Look, look, if you buy a ticket, just please come. <laughs> it's a separate admission, so it's not a, it's not a two for one. So they're trying to sell Jeff's concert alone to wrestling fans. That'll be interesting. Just sing your WWE theme tune. <laughs> I know the best song that he's got, and it's not even him that sings it. Maybe that tells you something, Jeff. Um, but yeah, that'll do. So we just avoided the curse of Central, but I'm sure six more stories will break as soon as we go off air. Uh, don't forget, we have obviously the back catalogue, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Android Podcasting Sites, and Spotify, at Suplex Retweet, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Thank you very much for joining me, Stephen. Thank you, Ross. Always a pleasure. And I'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network.